0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Beers and Careers. I'm your host, Mark Agostinelli, and as always, the podcast is brought to you by the Davis Companies, www.daviscos.com, that's D-A-V-I-S-C-O-S.com, finding you the best people. Um, Today's guest is Ryan Monroe. Ryan's someone I met in high school. Um... And honestly, really haven't stayed in touch with, I, I was doing some snooping on LinkedIn, saw that he spent some time in the investment banking world and made the transition to sales. And uh, I always knew him as a lively guy, so I figured I'd reconnect and this one did not disappoint. Um, he brings a ton of energy and a ton of wisdom um, in this podcast, but also I think he's got some really good points, the importance of having a board of directors and the importance of luck in your career and uh, just taking everything in stride. So. Ryan and I had a blast, both uh, fast talk and salespeople. So, hope you can keep up and uh, hope you enjoy. Beers and careers. Thank you very much. Cheers, my friend. Because twins. I love it. So,
1: my sister gave this this to me. Yeah.
0: uh, To the the Beers and careers family, um, the guest today is uh, Ryan Monroe, uh, who I had the pleasure of going to high school with, along with his brother, Rob. A couple Uh,
1: years
0: ago. But we really haven't connected in quite some time. So, it was kind of a cool. Thing, not gonna lie, I shamelessly reached out because I saw that he was in investment banking, and then now he's in a a sales role. So I was excited to uh, to kind of reconnect, and thought this would be a good forum to do so. But just wanted to say thanks, man, for coming on, and uh,
1: look forward to talking to you. Yeah, likewise, and thanks for having me. I've been, you know, I mentioned earlier, I've been stalking you on LinkedIn. I love the content you've been putting out, and you've been doing well for yourself. So appreciate it. Definitely happy to be a part of this.
0: Appreciate trying to, uh, trying to give back a little bit in the good old vegetarian sense of the word there. Indeed.
1: uh, Yes. Absolutely. I love it.
0: Um, I guess to start, do you mind maybe, you know what? I'm going to let people get to know you first before I dive into the deeper stuff. What's your, uh, what's your favorite cocktail? I see you drinking a beer there.
1: This is a beer of my own creation. It's an IPA. Okay. Um, it's a, it's a West Coast IPA. Um, with an east coast bend to it but i started craft brewing a few years ago and actually i'll tell you a really quick story after i left goldman sachs i had this knack to become an entrepreneur right so when i was at goldman sachs my job was to advise business owners investors entrepreneurs and really help them manage their investments and kind of grow um their balance sheets and i was like listen like I'm helping them. Let me see if I actually have the, the knack to do this. And um, I ended up going out and securing some funding. Ended up poaching a brewer, a uh, buddy of mine, who um, I later, like, we just became really good friends after this guy named Chris. And we said, hey, why don't we open a brewery, right. right? We ran the numbers. The margins on beer, especially IPAs, are pretty healthy. And we ended up going out and looking for sites. And we were going to be in Quincy, actually. Believe it or not. And we had a few conversations with some developers and long story short, it didn't work out. Um, the deal kind of fell through. And as a result, we lost a few investors, which kind of put us back to square one. But you know, I I tell this story probably because if I'm being completely candid with you, Mark, when it first happened, I was kind of ashamed and embarrassed, right? Mm -hmm. I worked at Goldman Sachs for almost 10 years. I know a thing about corporate finance. I can raise some money. I think I have a good product. Hey, I'm looking to do something that's really in, in in vogue right now, which is craft beer and really just Mm. this artisanal movement. And it didn't work. And, you know, I can go back and on a thousand different scenarios play in my head as things I could have done better or modified this or tweak this. But the reality is it was kind of my first professional failure. Mm. Okay. And it was very humbling. And, you know, it's something, it's a story I tell a lot of folks, especially early on in their careers. Like, kind of got the shit kicked out of me.
0: Mm. And,
1: you know, when you're in the kind of the school of hard knocks and folks on the street, they're not as polished maybe as some other folks who you would deal with at a bank or at a high-tech startup. But it's important to recognize, hey, listen, stuff happens for a reason. You kind of pick yourself up and you move forward. So um, it was a great life lesson, if Mm -hmm. nothing else. And it definitely kind of helped shape the next kind of path in my career, I think. So I just think it's a cool story. I like to tell it.
0: Do you think that
1: you described
0: it as your biggest professional failure? Do you think you're more upset because of the actual fact you didn't get the beer or the brewery off the ground? Or do you think it it's more like the emotional pain of like, sharing your entrepreneurial aspirations with all your family and friends. And it, this is happening over months. And then yeah. the next time you see him, you got it at Christmas, you gotta be like, yeah, that fell through. and It sucks. Like, is it more embarrassment yeah. you think on the social side, or is it truly like an internal, like, fuck man, I screwed that up.
1: It's a little of both. Um, yeah. I, I think when you look at it longer term, it's the former, right? It's I hey, I didn't get this business up and running. Here's why, here are the things I could have done to remediate early. But yeah. in the short term, you, you, you're right. I mean, it's, Listen, this was a year process, if not longer, where I was taking the steps. I was networking. I was gathering funds. I was doing all this and people bought in, right? And I had a lot of friends and family. Um, even Severian, you know, I remember going back to Severian at one point and telling some of the teachers there and like, Hey, we'll be your best customers. If you need people to help this. And it, it was a really good buy-in. And yeah, going back home and saying, listen, ah, it didn't really work out. It is kind of a bummer. Uh-huh. Um, and so, and so there was a certain level of embarrassment, but you know, with anything else, and you know, you know this as well. I mean, work and your personal life are so intertwined. Mm. And when you're putting a lot of this in there, you really can't bifurcate it. And so, um, the one thing I got out of that was like, Hey, listen, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta live with those emotions. You gotta live with that feeling. It's okay to be embarrassed. It's okay to feel as if you failed at something. Yes. What, what the hell are you going to do about it now?
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. A hundred percent, which is, uh, I think when we had when I had Mark Undera on the podcast and we talked about like our experiences at Severian, were yeah. similar but not the same, and it was like it was a lot of like you failed, get up, keep going.
1: Yeah, like it was like a, it was a
0: lot of that beating in your head over four years. So just
1: 100. We'll, we'll,
0: percent what are we like eight minutes in? And we're yeah. <laughs> talking about failure. <laughs> it's uh, that's that's too funny. So real quick, I have more questions yeah. about that, but like go for it. Favorite curse word shit
1: i've already said it maybe twice now
0: okay that's, pretty good. That's, that's number two on the all-time beers and careers list uh, there you
1: go <laughs>
0: imagine fuck is number one um, yeah, right. do you
1: have a favorite quote i do it's very simple it's live a good life mm. so it's i'll be honest it's part of a larger quote um it's from marcus aurelius and his meditations book which yes. i i try to read once a year it's a good way to kind of just ground myself and like think going forward, what am I looking for this year? And it it actually, interestingly enough, it actually it's related to religion and talking about certain gods and if they're just, or if they're not just and how you do that. But for me, it's a very simple mantra. Like if you wake up every day and commit to yourself, I'm going to live a good life. I'm going to do some good. You talked about it earlier. Like you're in a point where you want to start giving back. Mm. You kind of keep that in the back of your head. Then you really can't do much wrong.
0: Um it's, it's very true. It's funny you yeah. mentioned
1: uh Marcus
0: Aurelius, uh, because um as a young kid, my mom used to always joke and call me Marcus Aurelius because Mark gustinelli yeah. so I had like all right. <laughs> But during the pandemic, I got into it. I got into like yeah. Seneca and Marcus yeah. space and I picked up the Daily Stoic by Brian yeah. Holiday, and I read The Obstacles yep. the Way, and so now I read the Daily Stoic every morning. And mm-hmm. it's like one of those weird things, you know, like you try to pick up routines, but like that's one that's stuck. Yeah. Because it's only like, it only takes like 45
1: seconds. Well, that's it. And, no and, system. and you know what it is too, Mark? It's, if you and I were talking 10 years ago and someone threw those, those books at us or started talking about stoicism, A, I'd, I'd have no patience for it and B, it wouldn't have been as applicable as it is now. Right. Sure. Um, true. and so it's definitely something that sticks with me and I, I like keeping things simple. I'm getting old. I, my memory goes every now and then, so I gotta keep it simple and digestible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. It's like,
0: and it's like I, you know, it's funny about that is because it, earlier in my career, I had a tendency to complicate things because I want, right. I think, almost like school ingrained you to be like, yeah. there's got to be more, and there's got to be, you know, there's something behind this, behind this, and then you go yeah. through that, then you come back to like, um, I don't know who it was, maybe it's Elon Musk, but it's like if, if, smart people can explain complex things in very simple terms, and so like exactly. now I. Yeah. I I appreciate it. But to your point, 25-year-old Mark was like, get out of here. Don't no, care. Ab- Don't ab- care. Yes. That's, <laughs> that's, that's too cool. So when did you, for you, though, when did you make the decision, or, or decision is the wrong way to say it. I loved how you said there's ver- there's very little separation between, like, your personal life and your career. Yeah. Um, and I think for me, it took about seven years of professional life, eight years to really get it. Be like, mm-hmm. no. No. When I go out to dinner with those clients, they're clients. Like, I don't want to let, you know, I don't want to pull back the curtain at all. I don't want to push it. I don't really want to, you know, I really don't want to go skiing with you. Like, (laughs) but then, like, I went through this, I don't know what it was, but then there was a thing where it, like, clicked, like, and for me, that's when, if someone was to ask me when did my job become my career, I'd say then, when, like, the career and personal life became one. Did you have a moment like that along the way?
1: I did. Um, And it was so around 2015. So in okay. 2015, I was essentially I moved and transferred at Goldman into a role where I became a decision maker and a revenue generator. And so for me, I had mentioned earlier, so I was advising investors and other clients on their balance sheets and their wealth. Um, But it was my book of business. Right. Mm-hmm. And I had a team, I, I was working with a few analysts, I had a business partner, and we kind of called the shots. And looking back on that, you know, prior to that I was always in positions where I was in almost like an analyst associate role at the bank, right? You're you're asked to do something, you go do it. You do it well and you kinda you kind of work your way up that ladder. So for me, there was very, there were very few opportunities for me to say no about something. I was going to do it, right? If I had to go out to that client dinner because no one else wants to, guess what? Ryan's going out to that client dinner. And in that point in time, that inflection point in 2015 on where I'm now calling the shots to your point, Mark, it's like, I don't want to go out and I'm going to explain why I don't want to, right? Listen, I have commitments at home. I have this or that. And they get that. And. The same vein, there are some things because if you kind of own your own P&L, yeah, you do kind of have to suck things up and say, listen, I'm sorry. Like I'm going to have to go out with this client right now because it's a real, it's a really pivotal point in our relationship. I have to go do this. Right. So, and I've kind of carried that over within, you know, my time at DoorDash where I now have a team of people who God love them. They actually look up to me and <laughs> they report to me. I'm now setting that example for them. So when they start thinking about their work life blend, they're looking to me as that example. So if I'm the one who can't really differentiate and bifurcate it, I can't expect them to either. Right. Mm-hmm. So. So that was kind of that was kind of the inflection point, which, again, it was probably graduated. Oh, eight from from undergrad. Yeah. About seven, eight years in. So yeah, probably the same time as you. yeah. Yeah. That's
0: funny. That's funny that those the, the timelines line. Up. Right. So let me give you my my recruiter. Right. I, Do it. you know, I'm a trained recruiter. So I'm, I'm looking at your LinkedIn. I'm here all day. It's like, all right, yeah. <laughs> uh, went to a great Boston school, Northeastern, um, get, looks like you got your MBA at Babson. Yep. And then, uh, but you know, your first real world experience, let's say was a paralegal in, in law. Yeah. Gave it a whirl quickly realized, Hey, I'm going to try something else. Went to investment banking for a couple of years. Then you can see in 2015, you get kind of the Yep. Big boy, The big boy role, if you will. If you and will. then you kind of move on to um, constant, which I don't know. I don't know constant energy capital, but then end up mm-hmm. at DoorDash. Like, I got to ask you along the way, like, because yeah. I love the fact that you were like, all right, I'm a paralegal. I'm out of law, like not for me yeah. and kind of moving yep. on. Any of those experiences stand out more than others as important in where you are today? Like ones that you which ones could you not? if you, if you had not had, would have really been a, an empty place for you?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So there are, there are a few, the first one was ropes and grades of paralegal. So that was my foray into cutting my teeth, if you will, working 90 plus hours a week and just is one of those things where you just as I'd say, shut up and get the work done. And that was my opportunity to do it. And, you know, it was, I, Chose not to go into law after that experience, but I needed that experience to know I didn't want to go into law. Mm -hmm. And this was in 08. The market had literally just shook the bed. And I was, again, I was lucky. I was fortunate. I kept my job. I got kind of progressive responsibility, but you know, I still talk to a lot of the lawyers I used to work with at ropes and gray Mm. because I just stayed in touch with them. Listen, I'm not going to go into law school, but I think between you, me and anyone that we speak to, you need lawyers and whether you, whether you like it or not, you're going <laughs> to yeah. interact with lawyers in your professional career. So you might as well stay on the good side. Right. So, so that, that was a very, very good role for me. Cause in the other thing too, right? Like, and, and Mark, you, you, you knew my background. We, we went to school together. We, li- we, we kind of grew up in this bubble and Severian was a bubble in and of itself where what? we worked hard, but we were also protected by Severian. Right. Yeah. Which Northeastern is also very insular. And so I really needed an opportunity to kind of spread those wings and really just say, listen, you, you just gotta work, you just gotta roll your sleeves up and get shit done. And yeah. that was a great opportunity to do it. Right? Awesome. Um the other interesting thing you probably saw on there, I spent some time at Global Atlantic Financial Company. I did it. Um, Boomerang back to Goldman. So Global Atlantic was a spin-off of Goldman Sachs. So I was at Goldman, decided okay. to divest with Global Atlantic. And then went back to Goldman Sachs. Um, Global Atlantic was a fascinating experience for me because that was my first role with that was really revenue generating. Mm-hmm. And it was also in the insurance space. I didn't know a damn thing about insurance. OK. And, you know, I, I look back and again you know, I was in my early 20s. I thought I was kind of hot shit. And I didn't invest the time or energy into really learning the idiosyncrasies of financial insurance. and. That just caused a lot of headwinds, not in a bad way, but I I could have probably done more in that regard. And so that's one of those things where I always look back like, oh, if I really applied myself a little bit more, could I have gotten a quicker promotion there? Could I really help lead a team here do XYZ? Who knows? But um, that's always something I I, I look back on as saying I really should have put in a little bit more effort there. Um, again, if I went back to 23 year old Ryan, he would have been like, all right, move on, I don't care. But um, but yeah, those were probably the two biggest experiences, um, that kind of really helped shape my career and just, you know, love, give me perspective,
0: right? Yes. Yes. I, now as a guy who has some experience with legal, then the investment banking route, P&L management, yep. quick, quick trip and in insurance game, what did your MBA give you that you didn't get? Experience in the real world because, like, I, so I, you know, I was, I must admit, uh, full full admission. So my mom worked at Babson in an admission and was like, "Yeah, got to get your MBA." And I was like, "Mom, I don't fucking need it. Like, it's not, gonna, <laughs> it's not gonna. My company would yeah. pay for, it, but it's not gonna impact my life." Right. It, it, that was my cost benefit analysis of it. So, like, yeah, I asked the question because I want to. I either I, at some point I'm either gonna have to go back and get it just to actually experience it because I ask all these people how it was for them, but I like want to know like. Did it make such a profound, um, did it leave such a profound effect on you that you wouldn't have gotten along your path? Because you hit a lot of things. It wasn't like you were, you know, in one department and not leading people for a long time. So I'm I'm curious with your background.
1: So it was important for me because if you had asked me, can you scrutinize and look at a company's balance sheet and glean information off it pre-MBA, the answer is no. OK. Right. If you ask me to look at a statement of cash flows and understand, like, is this company in a good financial position or not? I couldn't answer that question. So for me, and this is how I, I rationalized it for me. Did I really need the NBA? Probably not. But okay. what I wanted was I wanted hey, I wanted to go back to school at that point in my career. I got I ended up going at night. So for me, if I'm working seven, eight, nine hours a day and then spending three hours at night going to school, I'm getting the most out of it. Right. Oh, yeah.
0: hundred
1: so, no, 100%. so it was really the point in my career where I was actually excited to learn again, mm-hmm. to really sit down and absorb. And I mean, I still have a lot of my textbooks because I just think they're really good tools. Um, so I want the basics. I want to understand corporate finance. I want to understand the ins and outs of marketing. I want to understand, you know, one of my favorite classes was game theory mm. by far the best class. And I still have every textbook from that class. That's um, cool things that I probably could have learned on my own, but I wanted the structure again. I wanted to sit down in the classroom with peers and just absorb and learn. And for me, it was worth the investment. It was an expensive investment, but it's paid off. Um, mm. and I think similar to you, I, you know, I got to where I want to go at Goldman without the NBA. Really? And yeah. I probably didn't need it, but yeah. it's sure as shit didn't hurt. Um, so you know, I mean, I've asked
0: that question not to kiss your ass, but I've asked that question a lot, of people, and that's like the first time I've heard someone say it and be like, that resonates. Like I want yeah. structure to. Le- I know I already want to learn, but now yeah. I need structure to do it, right? And yeah. then you probably wouldn't have um, taken a class or picked up a book on game theory necessarily yeah. unless you'd been exposed to it. So that no, yeah, that makes a, that makes a ton of sense. I gotta think that those experiences. Must be a powerful, um, just be so powerful to have in your background in a role where you're in a sales capacity now.
1: And and you know what it is, Mark. And you don't think that folks with MBAs end up going into sales roles again. You don't need an MBA to go into sales, right? There's a lot right. of. I mean, we we can sit here and talk about what is the correct DNA for the best salesperson, but the reality right. is an MBA generally doesn't fall in the top fifty, in my opinion, right? Right. right. Fair. Um, But what it does do, and this kind of touches on what I do now at DoorDash, you know, I can speak to, you know, I'm I'm responsible for our restaurant partnerships from, call it Portland, Maine, all the way down to like the DC metro area. And so I speak to, and my team speaks to a lot of different restaurants, restaurant groups, mom and pop shops, what have you. And we talk about, hey, listen, here's how you optimize your performance on our platform, right? Mm -hmm. Let's take a look at your marketing spend. Let's take a look at this. Where I... Find the greatest utility and value add for myself is all right, let's take a look at your fixed costs, right? Open up your balance sheet to me. Where are you hemorrhaging cash and where can we find ways to optimize? Not just so you do well on our platform, but especially in the age of COVID, you can keep your lights on. Right. Right. Because generally speaking, it's not even about the third party logistics space, it's about, you know, labor costs, rent, food costs. Mm-hmm. Right. Margins like this. And so the MBA is it a prerequisite? No. But again, it gets my mind thinking in ways like an owner mm-hmm. versus just a salesperson. So you, it's you, more uh,
0: you view it very differently. You, real quick, for people who aren't familiar with DoorDash, yeah. maybe they've been living under a rock during the pandemic. Can you just,
1: you know, just DoorDash is a third party logistics company. Um, that's a fancy way of saying that we are an app that helps deliver food. Um, from restaurants to consumers. And obviously we have a whole host of other products and services, but that's really the bare bones, uh, kind of what we do and what we try to accomplish. So, um, we kind of have three legs to the stool. We have our, um, restaurant partners. We have our customers and we have our dashers who are really the bridge between the other two. So mm-hmm.
0: makes, makes sense. I've always described it as, uh, it's Uber, but they don't drive people. They drive food. Exactly, is, is the, you know, part
1: of it messages um, of it, yeah,
0: yeah. Do you so the pandem, pandemic turned into a boom town for you?
1: The pandemic was definitely hard. <laughs> we'll was it an like,
0: accelerator for DoorDash j- though?
1: So I'm, I'm not going to get too deep into that. Yeah, um, yeah, that's okay. As much to say that it definitely, you know, it definitely became a challenge in the sense that how for me, how I sell is very different because we're talking about people here, right? This is a very people oriented business.
0: Yes.
1: And, you know, when you are trying to sell something and the person on the other line is saying, well, shit, I I don't know if I can keep my lights on until tomorrow. Kind of changes your approach. Right. And, you know, I I think for, for us as a, as a, as a, as a team and as a company, we shifted how we just had conversations. I mean, that's the one thing I tell people like my conversations over the last year and a half are just completely different. Right. I'm taking off the sales hat and it's like, okay, well you got Ryan Monroe here, father of four. Right. Talk to me. Yeah. What's happening. What can I do to help you out? Um And a lot of the times, right. Hey, it's just, you're just having human conversations. Right. Um, more,
0: more venting than anything.
1: A lot of venting. And you know, and going back to kind of your earlier point about how you can't really separate personal and business, like that's that's where it, that's kind of where it comes comes in. And so, for you as a career recruiter, and for me as a salesperson, you know, those are the biggest things that I look for in anyone on my team. Like you, human being. Yeah. I don't care yeah. where you went to school. I don't care what your GPA was. I just need to know I can have a human conversation with you because. If you can't have a human conversation during the shittiest time in our short life. Yeah. doesn't right. matter.
0: It doesn't, good you're, not, you're not, you're never going to make it in our business. How, how could you share with us as much as you're willing to share? Like maybe yeah. how you changed tactics or you led your team to change their actual tactics that they utilize. Maybe, you know, in January versus in March. Right. Cause once March hit, it was like, okay. And you're literally calling on, some of the people that are hurting the most and, and yeah. are still hurting the most.
1: Really. Still hurting. And there's yeah. a lot of uncertainty, right? Yeah. I you know the, the the biggest shift I would say um that I told my team to make was your job is to ask questions, not provide all the solutions, or think you can provide all the solutions. And I think this goes into anyone who wants to help, the gut human instinct is I'm gonna solve your problem for you. Mm-hmm. But you can't do that unless you ask the right questions. And you can't do that unless you just sit back, shut up, and listen sometimes. Yeah. And so we did a lot of listening. And there are times where you get off a call and you actually didn't have much of it in terms of an action item, to your point, because they just wanted to be heard. Yes. And you knew that, okay, well, I will follow up with you in a couple of weeks. We'll actually have another conversation. But that was productive because that's what you needed at the time. So, again, that's not something you can teach in an MBA right that's just something you just have to know and understand given the dynamics of the situation
0: questions are the answers that was what Sometimes. we that's our that, that's our mantra in here and the, wor- yeah. the worst the worst thing i'll say i i feel guilty about is uh when a rep on my team my role is mainly sales i i'm mainly on the partnerships i try to find yeah wants us to use our services and um Reps will get me, they'll call me like, yeah, I got this big call coming up. Like, can you be on it? Like, yeah, yeah, 100%. And, I'm like, we? and I'll be like, put a prep in in the morning. It's like, "Yeah." So we prep, we go through the people. They're like, so what are you going to do? I was like, I'm not going to sell anything. I'm going to ask a bunch of questions. Yeah. And it's like, man. And, they, you know, like, to your point, you get people who look up to you and they think that, like, maybe in your desk, I've got this gigantic list of cheap questions. Right. And it's like, no, 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 all I'm going to do is ask the person a whole bunch of questions. I'm probably not going to offer them anything.
1: Right. And 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 you bring up a good point, too, and it's something that I learned when I was at Goldman. I I always had this idea in my head that the smartest people in the room knew every answer like that. I have folks who are 25-year fixed income specialists, folks who wrote the book on how to price options. And this is like you name, you think about it. Then there was that expert right there. And it wasn't the person who knew all that information. They wouldn't even lead on that. They knew it. Right. But they asked the right questions. Right. And it took me the better part of 10 years to realize that you, you don't need to be the smartest person in the room and know every answer. You just need to ask the right questions. Mm. And you can't do that again unless you actually listen, really actively listen. Actively, right? act- yep. And listen, that's
0: hard. Listen to understand. Listen to understand is a very difficult, it's a very s- difficult skill. For sure. So that's, re- that's really interesting. I will say I think the best – Thing we did as a leadership team here for the pandemic, for, from the Salesforce perspective, was yeah, to change. You know, rather than selling, hey, do you need us? Do you have any openings? To how what do you, what's going on? How do we help? Yeah, how do we help? Like just being a human was the single best thing I think we did because I think it took the pressure off our internal people to yeah. perform. But sure. it also, but it also created they had way more humane conversations than they ever had. Hundred percent. The veil, the veil came down. So that's that's interesting. I uh, I had no idea we were gonna go down the sales road, dude. This is like, this is so much fun
1: for me. I love it. We can do this all day. I know.
0: (laughs) I I will say though, my favorite thing that when you started before we got into the kind of selling during a pandemic conversation was when you said your ability to help your client look through their fixed costs and look, you know, understand their business. I think that is really I mean I don't want to say it's the pinnacle of sales but it's certainly the pinnacle of adding value in a sales role right like and I think we get we get trapped in the segments of the business we serve and where we can help right like you can get lumped into the logistics part oh no that's just a logistics delivery service like no no that guy, Mr. Monroe, he helps me understand why I'm doing things. And it's a guy I can bounce ideas off of. And there, exactly. um, there was a Dale Carnegie sales class I took a while ago. And it said like, oh, yeah, only the top 1% of salespeople become sustaining resources for their clients. Exactly. I remember sitting there being a competitive guy like you and being like, I got to yeah. get there. I got to <laughs> who helps. So it's like,
1: yeah,
0: when you were telling me that story, I was like, man, that's just a rep adding value, like at, at exactly. the, at the tactical sales management standpoint, but exactly do you struggle i feel like i struggle especially with new reps and i'm learning to get better at it, but like how do you convey that message while there's also like they get they're new on the job right cuz i i didn't believe that when i started mm-hmm. right so like and do you do you have any ways you go about um you know you lead leaders too now i'm in yeah. a simpler role i lead leaders so that then you're like translating a message that you hope also gets translated down in a manner that right. you love. So I'm, I'd love to hear just your position on some of that stuff.
1: Yeah. So the, the first thing I do, and when, when I talk to them, cause again, when you're in, when you're in any sort of sales role, you're dealing with people who are generally competitive, who generally want to perform not on target, but they want to perform 200% yes. above target, right? Which is awesome, right? That's why you hire them in the first place, but it's okay to ease your way into it. It's okay to be like, Hey, listen, this is your first full quarter at this company in this role. We're going to take it easy. Yeah. And I'm going to slowly walk you through the steps that I think you need to take to be successful, knowing that I want you to put your own spin on it. Right. So like, it's not like you just have to walk before you can do a dead sprint. You You need to crawl and you need to really, really, really crawl for a quarter. to get up to speed and it's the same when you know you're talking to manager new managers of people it's like if this is your first time really being a people manager it's a it's a very unique art that you're going to put your spin on but it's going to take time Mm -hmm. and so what i try to do is say listen like i'm not going to bring the hammer down right now saying you need to perform x y and d blah, blah, blah 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 like i want you to get your mastery of your craft and for some people that takes a couple weeks mark and you and i have probably both coached and mentored folks in that space and that's yes. great yes other people could take candidly could take two quarters but you know they have the right stuff and you know they're true as soon as they get it they're going to be the best
0: get out of that way. you
1: ever have so yeah. I, I think it's just a matter of like and again it's it's kind of the antithesis of what we expect from sales it's like it's okay to be patient. It's okay to really take your time in the beginning because um, I'd rather you make your mistakes and crawl right now versus a year or two from now where my expectation is you're already at this level. And if you're making some of those mistakes that you really should have gotten out of the way in the beginning, that's where we should probably have a conversation about how do we readjust and recalibrate. Right. right? It's funny you say that
0: uh, we're working on incre- uh, in improving like our hiring and our performance yeah. grading and those types of things. And one of those things, uh, they put on the scorecard, like for outcomes, we, not only did we do competencies, we kind of use like, what are the outcomes people should have in their first six months? And the one of them was fail fast, early and often. And That's everyone it. said, I've got a team of three.
1: Yeah.
0: And they all said, people who do well in the first 12 weeks in this business almost never make it because they, they think it's too easy. They never yeah. had the failure. They never crawled to your point. And all yeah. of a sudden they're getting a year in and I'm like, this sucks. And it's like, yeah, simple things that like you could have avoided.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and not only that Mark, but if they see success that early on, there's also a good chance that not actually going out of their comfort zone, going for the ask, or really getting uncomfortable. So the second that happens outside of that window, they're like, Oh shit, uh, this is not what I signed up for. And you know, that's the other thing I tell folks is like, listen, you have carte blanche for the first call it quarter month, whatever it is go for it. Right. right? Make right. that phone call. And that may be the situation where you probably overpromise a little bit and can't deliver. Hey, it's okay. Let's walk it back. You're new. Yeah. It happens. We all do it. Right. Right. And right. that's okay. Cause at least now you've understood that boundary mm-hmm. and now you can just walk it back and that's easy. So I, I think that's the other dynamic there is like, you may see success, but are you really pushing yourself? Are you really like getting yourself out of that comfort zone? And again, we all, we all learned about being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Right. Right. are you actually practicing that because yeah. that's also, that's a skill set that's really tough to get around. With.
0: Yes. Oh, that's really, that's really interesting. Do you, how do you stay uncomfortable, Ryan?
1: I like cold calling. Yeah. Okay. You know, I started, I started really getting into it at Goldman and, and, and Goldman did a phenomenal job training us in essentially setting us up to fail in a way like, you're not going to know the answers, and there's a lot of like what they call verbal dexterity sessions where <laughs> you're put in the hot seat with a hundred of your peers, and they're going to just fire questions at you. You can't answer them. You can't, and it's it's kind of embarrassing. But over a while, you build up this armor. But you know the one thing they've always preach, and it's funny being the millennials that we are to like, well, cold calling is the best way to practice that. I'm like, come on, cold calling, right? This is this is 20, 2015, 2016, like. I can spit out a thousand names in the CRM like that and shoot off an email and just kill ten thousand birds with one stone. to Like pick up the phone and call. Doesn't pick work. up the phone and call. And at the end of the day, be damned if they weren't right. The best calls I had, the best situations I came in front of, the best clients that I got, cold call. Uh,
0: it's wild yeah. how my best relationships are all from
1: cold calls. Cold calls. Um, it's, it's tough. But it's not it's, dead. It is not dead. It's not it's dead. It's It's just harder. It, you know, I, I always say it's not really that hard, it's just uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, I hard's right. the wrong word. It's uh yeah. it's there it's you're they lower percentage, it's a lot of effort for a for sometimes you don't get a lot of squeeze.
1: Yeah. You know? Um but you learn a lot about yourself in those situations. Cool. And and Mark, you and I could spend the next two hours talking about the calls that were just disasters i got them i'm sure i'm sure you got them where i've been called out i've been called every name on the sun. i, I i'll i tell you there's there's one call i made where i give them a lot of credit like they, they actually got people to jump in on the line and just play a game with me because oh. they knew it was a cold call they knew i was green and they just had fun with it and they, they were great they were they were transparent about it at the end but it's just like that's part of it you just yeah. kind of have to roll with those punches you know
0: Yes, and and the and the people that were the meanest to you, I found like in reality, I looked at them. I look at them now the same way I looked at the, my hardest teachers in high school and college. It was like I hated you yeah. when I was there, and then now I'm so grateful for you because you yeah. sharpened me. You know, right. like yeah. like like the hardest teachers are always the ones where it's like, man, I got go to go this class. And then you look back right. on it after you graduate, like thank God for that person.
1: Right. Right. I mean, <laughs> they were looking Mar- out. For- you're, you're a dad now. How many times have you been like, now I know why my parents said this, or now I know why my parents did that, because you're doing the, you're going through the same exercise with your kids. I'm doing the same thing. It's like, shit. It's should hard. have listened, <laughs> you know? Uh,
0: I mean, and then, and then, uh, just to go down the kid path. So I just, I, as I said, we both have six year olds. My son turned six today. It's actually his sixth That's birthday. Awesome. That's so great. thanks for bumping it up a little earlier. So of I can course get dinner on time, but, um, <laughs> It's like, what do you want to do yesterday? He's like, I want to watch The Lion King. It's like, sure. And you put it on. You're like, I've watched Lion King many times. And then the circle of life comes on. And you're like, God damn. It's that hits different at 35 than, the,
1: than every time, at team. right? Every, every time. It's it's funny you say that. So I, have you seen the Avengers, Avengers series and Endgame and all that? I,
0: I've seen. I've, I can't say I've seen them all, but I've seen most yeah. of
1: them. So the last one is Avengers Endgame. And it's like the pinnacle. This, yeah. you know, 15-year period. And that is funny. I, I saw it for the first time by myself. And I'm a big Marvelous guy. And it was a very emotional movie because it, re- it had a lot of undertones of parenthood and fatherhood specifically. And I remember going and telling my wife that and she kind of gave me shit for it. She's like, okay, Ryan, it's an action movie. Like, it's a bunch <laughs> of stuff. I'm like, I'm going to watch it with you. I and mean, We ended up watching it. I want to say maybe four or five days before the twins were born, right? Mm-hmm. And... She cried for maybe 20 minutes. <laughs> no way. Maybe 20 minutes. And I just stared at her. And by this point, I, my tears were all gone. I hadn't seen the movie a bunch of times. I'm like, I just stared at her. I'm like, yeah.
0: See? This yeah. Is, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's not. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, it's uh, uh, it is funny, though. It's funny. It's funny to think of all the testosterone that happened at that all boys private we <laughs> went to. Yeah. Just to realize how soft you
1: become as a Oh mom. my goodness. Oh my goodness. I mean, it, y- you'll, you'll have Dr. Robert Rowe on this podcast one day. Yeah. Um, and Rob and I, we speak, we, we speak almost every day now. Awesome. Almost wow. every day. And, and in our twenties, we may have spoken you know a couple times a month just to check in or just by by happenstance and for the you know just for the sake of the podcast my you know dr robert monroe is my twin brother and yes, um yes. you remember him and you remember him in high school obviously but you know again it's the same thing it's like this is bravado this you know this well we went to an all-guy school we're always butting heads and competitive and now we're just we're dads he's got two girls i got four kids and we just sit there and we just you know we talk yeah. about what TV shows we're binging when the kids go to bed or like this or that or, um. The priorities yeah. have changed drastically. Just a little bit.
0: Dr- <laughs> drastically. Did you, did you, um, is that the most unexpected part of your like life and or career that's happened to you thus far? Like just that kind of waking up and March 30th of 2021 and being like, wow, I would have never guessed I'm here.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's definitely. You know, at 25, if I said, Hey, you know, if someone asked me, where would you be in 10 years? And like, listen, you and I probably both did the, you have the one, you have the three, you have the five, the 10 year plan. Yes. This 10 year plan, A, is a lot better than what I would have come up with, but B, completely unexpected. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think part of it kind of goes back to what I was talking about in the beginning, but, um, I have more control over kind of my career and I I just feel more confident in what I want to get out of my career. At this point and being able to tap into, you know, something I always talk to people about is you need to have your own personal board directors. You need to have people from industry, from, you know, from high school, family, friends, people who are just going to come here and just literally poke holes in everything that you say. And you need to rely on them to really continue moving in your career. And I think that's one of the things that's really helped me to Um, because I know I can go to Rob. And Rob is the person that posts all in my stories. I can tell Rob a story and he'll look at me and be like, all right, we'll cut the bullshit. What actually happened? Yeah, right. And and I'm like, but it did. I'm like, okay, yeah, but I've literally known you since we were in the womb. So <laughs> what actually happened?
0: Yeah, you're lying. And you know, you, 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 you
1: can't, <laughs> yeah, that's... You, know, you, you can't get over that. So I think having, having those, having those networks in place where all I have to do is pick up the phone mm. and call them and say, listen, got a situation at work here need to run some scenarios by you or i got a working doc i want to make sure i'm going about this the right way poke holes help me out here or candidly just give me a pep talk right yeah. because i mean being in sales you know, you got you got your peaks and valleys and you know i'd love to say i have more updates and down days at work but let's let's be honest especially over the last year and a half i've had days where i've left my computer had to go downstairs and i just needed to sit and I just needed to be like, guys, I don't know what the fuck just happened, but like I, this was not a great day. And like, let's have a conversation about it.
0: Whether it's actual work or just the people you're talking to, because like, I can imagine in your business, you're talking to people who are like, I to your point, you said earlier, I don't know how many more days I'm going to keep the lights on. And like for, yeah. in my business, I was calling people, how you doing? Like, I think I'm getting let go this week. Yeah. You know, so it's like, okay, Wow. Yeah pivot how do we yeah. help right so it's like mm. and that that that's a tough thing to leave at work
1: though it is that's it is
0: tough what yeah. do you, actually how do you handle that how did you handle like do you have any mechanisms from the to de-stress because as we talked about earlier it's really hard once you get into it it's hard to decouple it right but it, like,
1: is, it, it is um and possible. you know i'm a, i'm also a firm believer of bringing your whole self to work right and and yeah that includes your person. I mean, my team knows everything about my, my family and my kids and all that. And I think that's really important, but because of that, like you said, it, it's, it's hard to separate that in a way. So mm. I, I, I try to keep it simple. Um, being transparent and honest and open is the most important thing to do. So I'll go downstairs and i tell my wife, I'm like, I, Need to talk and you sit down. We just need to have a conversation. And you know this actually manifested itself a lot last year, Mark, on top of COVID. But you also had a lot of the social justice issues with yes. Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and being a black male with black children. Yes. Again, putting the father had on like you 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 can't separate that right. right. And mm-hmm. so you know it's a lot of talking to my wife. It was talking to Rob. Um, I have a Peloton. I'll go on the Peloton because sometimes you just need to be by yourself. I you know I have a house with a thousand things going on, but I just needed a half hour by myself just to be in my own head. Right. Um, and I think those things certainly helped. Um, but also to recognizing that, like I use a, as a time to check in with other people. I actually, it, it's actually interesting. Um, uh, Tom Stack Babbage, mm. one of our, one of our peers at Severian, you know, we actually reconnected partly because of the social justice um, issues happening, mm. just checking in with each other. Right. And just saying, listen, like, I don't know what you're going through in life. He doesn't know what I'm going through, but let's just have a conversation and just open it back up. I mean, at the end of the day, we're ostensibly linked through our high school experience. Yes. Likewise with you and I.
0: Yes.
1: <clears throat> so let's use that as an opportunity.
0: So um that's really well, what a great. What a great outcome of all that.
1: For sure. Yeah. And yeah. We, we're still in touch and it's something I hope to kind of continue. But um, but, yeah, I try to keep it simple. I really do.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a challenge. It also sounds like you have a phenomenal, uh, partner in your wife. She's, she, yeah, she's been great. Just to appreciate it. Right. Like, no, you you may have had the kids for the last hour, but I need another two. Yeah. Right. Like that's the, because because that's the, that's the hardest thing. I think it is. It's like, you're like, you know, I don't know if, I don't know. Did your wife also have
1: a full-time job? She doesn't. So she stays home with the the four yeah. kids, um, which in and of itself is a full time job. And I told her today it's harder than my job. Way harder. Right? <laughs> you right. know, um, but to be able to kind of put that aside because she can recognize, OK, Ryan needs a few minutes to have a conversation, then she'll yeah. do that. And that's that that's a skill set that I've yet to learn. And I'm working on that. So she's it's, already light years ahead of me in that regard.
0: It's. uh I think it's fair to say there are some biological differences there. Like, this, like, <laughs> like, it's, like, some things my wife does. I'm like, man, that is, like, the most impressive thing. And and I don't know if I would have, like, failed for 10 years if I would have figured that out,
1: you right. know, like
0: <laughs> around kids. So that's, um, yeah, dude, that's the truth. So it sounds like the Peloton was a big deal for you.
1: It helped, right? Yeah. Um, I'm getting old, Mark. I, I got to stay in shape somehow, right? I can't work out. <laughs> Three hours a day, you know? It's um, it's funny. It almost sounds to me like we
0: didn't have particularly different experiences post-college where it's like you yeah. sound a little bit like you killed yourself. In a, killed yourself is a, is a hyperbole, but for sure you went all in on the professional career. And then to your point, you got to a point where you could almost, you had more control over what you were doing. And then it seems like you went through community, personal health, Mm. relationships and you kind of just are systematically taking stock of the whole Ryan Monroe from a, a, from a continuous improvement plan. Is that fair? I don't want to put words in your mouth.
1: But. Yeah, it, it's fair because it's also important, right? If you're, if you're being truly mindful of who you are, you, you kind of got to look at this continuum of like, well, you have your personal life, you have your professional life, you have your community life, like you were saying. And Um, they're all a big part of that picture. And again, we can kind of, we can kind of thank Severian for kind of ingraining that into us it, pretty early on. Right. It's,
0: it's wild. It's wild that yeah. how corny I thought that shit was when we were doing it. <laughs> and like, yeah. and like they still got you to buy in whether it was, I don't even think it was coercion,
1: but like, you know, it, 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 was, it wasn't coercion as much, in my opinion, it wasn't coercion as much. And again, like, regardless of what faith you ascribe to, right? right? Whether it's right. Catholic, what have you, there, there's this fundamental truth of like, okay, in order to truly be a good person, you have to kind of think outside yourself and think about other people. Right. And really do good by I just
0: live a good life.
1: There you go. Right. And I think the first part of my career was very focused on Ryan. Monroe, very focused on, okay, well, if I'm in a network, I'm in a network. So I want, I really want this job here. I really want to get up here. And now it's like, listen, That stuff's going to happen, and you know, I mentioned it to you before. Before this, Mark, like to me, I'm a firm believer that kind of whether it's timing, lucks, you know, divine providence, whatever you want to call it, that's going to play a role into your life, regardless of what happens. Mm -hmm. The only thing you can control is who you are as a person, right? How hard you work, and how you treat other people, and then everything else kind of comes into play. And so, um, I, I try to live by those tenets. And knock on wood. You know, I've been pretty privileged and, and pretty pretty successful because of that. I think.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's it's. I mean, you can hear it in the confidence in your voice, man, like that you're in a happy place. Yeah. You know, like holistically, and it's from and it's from that because it, it's funny. Your point about like if someone had showed me still, this is about 25, I would have thrown the book away. Like, I don't. I I couldn't have ever. Uh, imagine doing it a different way and like do I have regrets of what I did a long way a hundred percent right like sure. those are the things that those are the things that stick out but it's so funny how um you know this podcast really started to be like okay I got a job in staffing and then I get into staffing and I'm all I do is talk to people all day long <coughs> and, and right. I realized that no one has climbed a career ladder. Basically, like zero percent of people have actually climbed a systematic career ladder. And even if yep. they do on LinkedIn, how it looks or on their resume, it's actually a bunch of yeah. bullshit, right? Oh, yeah, like so they had a, a circuitous path. So mm-hmm. that was the reason I started the podcast, and also to inspire people who are like in high school or college, to be like, don't worry, like. Just do you for as long as you can do you and you'll get better and figure it out. But it's yep. funny talking to someone like you who's had a similar experience where it's almost um, it's almost kind of like our metaphor of cold calling. It's like as long as you put in the, the work daily
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you take the small wins along the way, like that, as you get down, that compounding effect makes a huge difference in your quality of life.
1: A hundred percent. And I think the other thing on top of that is you kind of got to cancel out the noise. Yeah. And being in the age of technology where and, and I fell prey to this, especially in the beginning parts of my career where I saw peers who were climbing up ladders and they were doing really well for themselves. And I am like, I'm puddling along, but like I'm going here and they're going here. And yeah. I go to a place like Goldman Sachs where they're just some studs at mm. that company and rock stars and I'm doing well, but they're yeah. doing better. They made VP in two years, you know. I have friends now that I check in with, and I had a, a colleague of mine who made who made managing director, and I couldn't be happier. But ten years prior, if that had happened, I would have been a little salty about it. I'm like, okay, well, mm. what do they have that I don't have? Now I'm comparing them to myself to other people, and yes, you, you, you got to cancel that out. And it's the same with sales, right? Someone's going to make Presidents Club one year, and you're like, oh shit, I should have done this. And, so true. Hey, so, it is what it is. But
0: especially, I think when you're in those. I think when you have a family, it becomes easier to be like, I don't really care what other people do anymore. Like, I'm happy yeah. for you, whatever you do. But I think for me, pre-family, there was like a there was a comparison, right? Was it Teddy sure. Roosevelt that says comparisons the thief of joy?
1: Something like right. that, yeah. Maybe
0: it was Eleanor, but one of those brilliant people from our past,
1: yeah, that
0: had that shit dialed, and it's it's mm. it's so true. Do you have any systematic things that you do, like tactically, like with your phone or? social media like do you employ anything that you think could help someone that maybe is stuck in that rut
1: to a degree i do two things um the first thing i do um going back to kind of stoicism I, i've started being more mindful hmm. and being more mindful is taking i try to find 10 minutes a day where I phones off computers off hmm. i'm up in am up in my room and i'm just sitting and i'm just so I mean, you can call it meditation. I, I, I don't call it meditation because I don't necessarily meditate. I don't try to empty my head. I just try to get and gather my thoughts. Right. And that has been super helpful because, listen, my 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 heart rate goes down. I'm not thinking of like the fourth call I have today and what I'm going to do. to right. do, well, right. I'm, I'm just trying to be mindful of who I am and what I want to be in this moment. And so that's been helpful. Um and again, ten years ago I would have laughed at yeah. myself and be like, okay, why are you doing that? Just ten minutes you just wasted, right? The other right. thing I do is I, I'm a big fan of just like internal working documents for myself. And so um if I have a big meeting coming up, if I have a big uh kind of a partner meeting coming, I will literally script out what I think I'm going to write. Mm-hmm. And just some bullet points. And for for me, I get I I, I thrive on energy and getting in sales, right? And so I get really high, I can get really high, and I can go and I can go and I can go and I can go and I can, and I can talk, right? Yeah. And sometimes you either say too much, you don't say enough, or you kind of go off on this tangent. And so I find that like if I can say, okay, well, I know I'm meeting with this particular partner, the first thing I'm going to write down is, shut up and listen. Yeah. Right. <laughs> My God. And the second thing, maybe the second through the 10th bullet point is going to be questions. Mm-hmm. And my goal is to get through those questions or at least frame it. So at least I'm, I, I'm in the right headspace. And then after that, if I, if there are things I do want to touch on or, or anything, I'm going to at least script it. Out.
0: I actually, th- I actually wrote down as you were talking, um, I might just make notebooks that say shut up and listen at the top of them. Yeah. Cause it's like, and I had a manager. He used to kick me in face-to-face meetings and being back in the day when I was, yeah. like, young and talking a lot and all fired up. And then I got into the mode where I was like, okay, shit, I got to write down, shut up, and listen at the th- – I, I wrote just shut up. I didn't have but yeah. But um, So that – dude, that's so funny to hear
1: you yeah. also
0: say that. So true. Yeah.
1: I like the internal yeah. document thing, though. That's a good – that's a cool strategy. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know what it is too, Mark, I, I, especially managing people now. Yeah. It also helps my train of thought when I'm speaking to them about like, okay, whether it's performance, whether it's how do I help them get better, whether it's mentorship. And it also gives me, it gives me a track of like, okay, well, I remember speaking to Mark three months ago and we spoke about this. Let's talk about it again. Right. Let's bring this back up and check up and see how this is going. So, um, that's been really helpful for me over the last couple of years, for sure. So you're super organized. Uh, I wouldn't say that. I'm doing my best. Yeah, but you you think you're
0: thinking, you're at least thinking about your organizational structure enough.
1: Yes, for sure.
0: Yeah. If I had to guess, you also have documents just for yourself?
1: Oh, I mean, if if I could show you my, my, my drive right now, it would be. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. It's insane. It's insane. It's been helpful. It's certainly been helpful, especially, especially with tough conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, where you you have to say certain things yeah. and you want to make sure you're doing that. And I, the one thing I'll say about, you know, the script there too, on top of the shut up and listen, I actually put prompts in just for silence. Mm-hmm. Just to say, if I know I'm going to say something, the next thing I'm going to write is silence, right? Mm-hmm. Give it time to marinate, give the other person time to think about what I just said and kind of put the ball on their court versus me just kind of saying something else. And Again, it may seem rudimentary, it may seem a little silly, but, you know, that's been helpful for me where it also allows me to kind of like take my shoulders, put them down and really listen now, right? Well, Going back to what we were saying earlier. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Exactly. So funny. I used to, I used to, uh, I don't do it as much anymore. I used to always take my shoes off cold calling. Just okay. Like- Take my shoes yeah. off, lean back in my chair. Because As a for, as an early rep, when I would get my first like people on the phone, I'd be so excited. I'm gonna go tell yeah. them about it. And like talking right. about it, my manager's like, dude, shut up and make more of those calls." I got <laughs> you so got momentum. Like, that's it. Was
1: a fu- it was a funny mantra.
0: Um, oh yeah. No, I hear dude, that. This is this has been a blast. You know what the benefit of having Ryan Monroe and Marco Gustinelli do a podcast together is that you really get two hours of content in an hour of time.
1: Because we I talk. Love it
0: so fast both
1: oh us. yeah it's oh so, yeah it's, so, it's amazing
0: this i can only imagine andrea our producer is probably like good lord people <laughs> are sweating listening to you too um
1: right.
0: as we as kind of wrapping up any i don't know i don't like want to say like any topics we didn't hit on your career that you think are important for people that maybe are um mid-career change or starting to explore the world of careers like i think that's kind of like Everyone's yeah. always like, would you tell yourself at 25? But it's like, oh, I think we did that enough today. Like, I'm interested in if you got anything else the so parting words of wisdom from Mr. Yeah. Ryan Monroe. I'll,
1: I'll reiterate two things. Um, I don't have anything extra, but the two things I want to reiterate because they were, they are very important to me and kind of frame how I've looked at my career. The first is have a personal board of directors. Yeah. You have to have it. It could yeah. be, it's got to be more than one, probably yeah. make it less than 10, make it like three to five, right? Yeah. And diversify it so you're getting true, candid feedback from people. Mm-hmm. And you want someone who's your sponsor, someone who will go to bat for you from a career growth perspective. You want a mentor to someone who's just going to be honest with you and just going to help you with, like, broader topics. You want someone who's going to kick your ass. You yeah. want someone who's going to just be your your, your your devil's advocate just to be that devil's advocate, right, and really force you. Um, so you have to have that. Right, you have to have that group of people that you can rely on, um, and then over time, and I don't know about you, Mark, but for me, I'm starting to be, become a board member on other people's yeah. board directors, so and that's fun. to me, and that well, and that's it. It's, it's it's fun, it's exciting, and it means that people trust you to they actually want to listen to you. I'm like, okay, now that's the giving back piece. So, yeah, it's it comes back full circle, and I think that's super important. So that's part one. Part two, I touched on it briefly, but don't underestimate the power. Of timing, luck, mm. divine providence, whatever you want to call it, because at the end of the day, you can bust your ass, you can work ninety-five hours a week, and still catch bad breaks. In your yes, but there's generally a correlation between people that work hard and people who generally get good opportunities because they're just out there. They're putting themselves out there. They're doing what they need to do. Um, but I, I say it because it humbles you. Yeah. Right. Yes. At the end of the day, everyone's a hard worker, right? And you see it, Mark, probably more than anyone else. What's the first like skill set people put down? I'm the hardest working person in the room. Like, well, no shit. If everyone's the hardest working in the room, then no one's the hardest person working person in the room. So, you know, you have to just recognize that situationally speaking, things are going to roll your way. Things aren't. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, I look at it from my career, I'm very, very fortunate to be at a place like DoorDash that's, really in a good growth phase and I'm in a position where they're giving me leadership opportunities and investing in me to grow. But it would be very naive of me to think that I got this role solely because I was the hardest working person or the best interviewer in the room. It's just, Hey, it was the right place, the right opportunity at the right time. And I'm going to make the most of it, but I'm, I'm going to make sure people know that I really appreciate these opportunities. Right. Um, and I think that's important.
0: So well said. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I feel like the board of directors thing is huge. And I think some people get it naturally. And I think if you don't have one naturally, it's okay to make it just work at it. And some Absolutely. people feel fake and you can kick people off your board of directors just as easy mm-hmm. as you can bring them on. So yep. I think that's phenomenal career advice. Mm-hmm. Um, and your point about the timing and luck, like I, I'm with you. Like, I feel like if you're having hard breaks, you need that. Maybe someone on your board of directors to be like, yo, it could happen tomorrow. Like you don't yeah. give up because it hasn't happened yet. Like eventually it's going to go. So it's funny yeah. because you're sitting here talking to someone who um, was hired by their college roommate's father. <laughs> right. And I didn't even know yeah. at the time that uh, my buddy Pat, his dad owned a staffing company. We were buddies for whatever, went traveled for a little bit, came home and I was interviewing. he's like, just so you know, like, you, maybe we could work together. And I was like, no yeah. way. And so taking it to your point, you take a chance you're grateful for an opportunity and you make the most of it. So absolutely Ryan Monroe. I think that was excellent and well said. And thank you. Um, Dr. Robert's going to have some work to do. Uh,
1: but, but I'm sure he'll, he'll show up. He'll show up as always. Oh, oh, oh he will show up. Don't worry about that, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you know, again, like f- 10 years ago, I would have been like, Oh, I'm going to help you rob on this, but it, I'm at a point where. When Rob speaks, he speaks some very good wisdom. And, you know, I think it's his training as a teacher, but, um, I'm excited for that. I'm, I'm always excited to hear him speak and see what he has to say because, you know, we may come from the, you know, the same womb as twins, but at the end of the day, our careers have taken us in very different paths and there's right. always a lot that we can learn from each other. So it's, it's, it's really exciting.
0: It's the beauty of being a human being on planet earth right now
1: is that you it's can a, learn
0: from so many people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Ryan, I really appreciate you carving out the time, man. Congrats on your six- Thank you. and And Godspeed. I hope you enjoyed <laughs> your first period a long time, and I hope uh, this is the first of many conversations, man.
1: Absolutely, Mark. I really appreciate you having me on.
0: Absolutely, brother. Take it easy.
1: Take care, Mark. Bye.